All right. If you are willing and able to stand with me for the reading of God's word, please join me. We're in Joshua 24 today. We're going to begin in verse 1. Then Joshua assembled all the tribes of Israel at Shechem. He summoned the elders, leaders, judges, and officials of Israel, and they presented themselves before God. Joshua said to all the people, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. Long ago, I took your father Abraham from the land beyond the Euphrates and led him throughout Canaan and gave him many descendants. Then I sent Moses and Aaron when I brought your people out of Egypt. Then you crossed the Jordan and came to Jericho. Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Then the people answered, far be it from us to forsake the Lord to serve the other gods. We too will serve the Lord because he is our God. Thanks, church. Uh, you guys are too, too kind. Thank you. It's really wonderful to be with you. I uh, look forward to this day and look forward to next week with the commissioning of Ryan. I'm going to just have my wife come up for a second. I didn't do this in the first service. Mm. 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 My better half, <laughs> my favorite Bible teacher. <laughs> you sure you don't want to stay and <laughs> preach? <laughs> ah, what a great day it is. Uh, well, as we dive into this message today, thank you for being here. Um, this is uh, something that came up in my mind as I was preparing for next week. And I thought, wait a second, uh, everything that I've read in Scripture is not only a charge to the next leader, but it's a charge to the people. And I began to read through Scripture all the instances where uh, the leaders are charging the people, because you guys are 99% uh, of the equation of what we call church, right? Right? Um, the scripture says, let he who has ears to hear, let them hear. It never says, pray for a really entertaining preacher. It, the, the weight is on you and me as we sit out in the audience to, to hear God and to hear the word. So this is an important charge that I'm going to give to you today. Uh, if you look back into the... Old Testament, you see the patriarchs from Abraham to Isaac, Isaac to Jacob, and then you see uh, Moses to Joshua, but not just to Joshua, but to the people of Israel, and then Joshua here to the people of Israel, and then as you go into the New Testament besides uh, Ezra and Nehemiah, then you have Jesus to the 12, you have Paul both to Timothy, but another instance in the book of Acts where he's charging the the leaders of the church in Ephesus. So my call to you today is I'm going to bring you a, a call to be refired, uh, to be re-radicalized. Uh, and I know you all think you're already fired and you're already ra radicalized, but uh, I want you to listen 
with baby skin, with fresh ears, as if you've never heard before, because maybe God might speak to you about a particular area in your life. The idea of, of bringing a commission or a charge is, is the idea that there's a chance that things could get lost. I used to run track, and there was no dire, more dire moment in the relay races when someone dropped the baton. So next week, I'm going to actually give a baton, literal baton, to Ryan, uh, because it not only can't be lost, it should get better. Uh, the next leg of the relay should actually get better. And what if everything we've heard and seen and, and, and we love about God is only going to get better in the next generation, God pouring out his spirit on you and me? So this is a critical moment for us to actually hear and, and have the attitude that our ancestors had when they were building cathedrals, that uh, a cathedral could take 200 to 300 years to build. And now think of it, you're a mason, you're not an electrician, that didn't happen back then, but uh, you know, you're, you're a laborer, and what you're building, you realize you will not see the finished product in your lifetime. It's something to think about. It's, it's hard for moderners, Americans particularly, to think of anything beyond me. Could anything go beyond me? Because everything is built in our world about me. Uh, but it's not the way the kingdom of God works. And he's building this great cathedral where people have labored before me and people will labor after us. And that's the way we view it. And what does God have for me right now? And particularly in this post-pandemic time, I think this is a perfect time to not only hand the baton off, but all of us to get re-radicalized because the winds of the pandemic have shaken all the leaves off the tree. And then there's fresh new growth where we get to say, okay, the dead wood and the and, and, and all of the rest is, is gone, and now uh, we have baby skin again. And what does Jesus want to do? We've all come out of a time where uh, I think we're all tired. We're all tired of the politicization. We're all tired of the, the, the crazy economics, the crazy medical, the crazy redefinitions of everything, the crazy, 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 crazy. And we, we kind of got suckered in uh, to yelling like everybody else and to being opinionated like everybody else, thinking that the louder our voice was and the redder our face was, somehow we were making a difference. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't have our social and political opinions. Hopefully, our Christian worldview is informing all of that. But the question is, what do we trust in to change the world? And that's key here. Because that's where it gets into the issue that Joshua is dealing with. And by the way, the second, first service didn't get this. So uh, the, the idea that a God is who you trust in. It's where you put your weight. Uh, Paul Tillich said, 
in the modern world where we don't have little gods that we, we carry and, and rabbit foots that we trust in, um, our gods today are our ultimate concerns in life. And if you don't know what your ultimate concern in life is, your spouse does. It's where you spend your time, it's where you spend your money, it's where you spend your energy. It's what you're so opinionated about every time you walk into the room. My uncle was an incredible evangelist. At the end, he was also a great evangelist. I'm not talking professionally. I'm, he was a salesman by trade. But wherever he went, he would lead people to Christ. And then one day, he discovered health food. And he became an evangelist for health food. And he was the guy you did not want to be around on Thanksgiving. <laughs> where you grab your pumpkin pie and your chocolate pecan pie and you run into the other room that he's not. So you could enjoy it because he's going to tell you how soon you're going to die and when your heart is going to stop beating. Uh, and... It was, it was sad to see him go from having Jesus as his ultimate concern in life to having health food as his ultimate concern in life. And post-pandemic, we can look back and say, wow, I kind of switched Jesus for my opinion on mandates. I kind of switched Jesus for my opinion on vaccines. I kind of switched Jesus uh, for my opinion on this political and whenever I walked into a party I was you know and and uh, and we look back and say is that really ultimately going to change the world it's almost like the world got blown up and it was a ship that just got blown up and we all were frantic to grab something floating and that became our our thing our ultimate concern if anyone tried to swim to our floating thing we you know about it but now we look back and say is that really what I want is my God and are these temporal things worth my ultimate concern and just as Joshua is calling the people here to get rid of their false gods I think God's calling us if not to get rid of them, at least to let them be dwarfed by the presence of Jesus. Because Jesus, his kingdom, his kingship, his work in your life, his work through you in this world is far more than anything. And your hope for this world is not the Oval Office. I know it will shock you, but Jesus doesn't dress in an American flag. He dresses in the book of Revelation in pure white. And his eyes are ablaze. And he's got this sword. And, and that's the Jesus is, who is coming eventually on a white horse and is, is going to change the world. Thank you. Amen. 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 So here we are. And uh, we're going to study this passage together, and I, and I hope that you squirm a little, that, that you and I are not thinking, oh, I, I hope my husband hears this message. Uh, this message is for you, and 
it's for me. Because any time you take a truth about anything and you make it the truth, uh, it becomes a lie. Because it's, it's only a truth in perspective to all the other truths. And Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. So I invite you not only to follow along this morning, but I invite you to come along on the same journey that Jan and I are on right now. I'm so excited about our, our next phase of life. By the way, um, can we stop asking me how retirement is going? <laughs> I, it's like I don't even want to see anybody because I, I just like, and, and the other one is, how is it now that you have all this time on your hands? And I know people are just trying to be friendly. They're just trying. But I am not retiring. Please say that back to me. You are not retiring. I am refiring. Okay? The morning I made this announcement to the church uh, last January, I got up at 4.30. I was emotional because I'd, I'd never done this before. And uh, I'd seen a lot of bad models, but how do we do this right and good? And, and so I got up and, and lit a wood-burning fire, I, my carbon footprint <laughs> on planet Earth. And, uh, and I sat before the fire, just Indian style, a yard away from the flames, and I just said, Lord, you know, this has been a great run. 50 years pastoring, 30 years here. Um, you've done so much for me, and you owe me nothing. But it would be really cool <laughs> if you spoke to me right now. And I think I share with some of you what came back to me wasn't audible, but what came back to me was clear as anything, follow me. And the reason that meant so much to me, it might not mean anything to you, and you might think, is that all God has to say at a moment? Like, it's, I should have spoken a paragraph or something, but um, He's not real wordy with me. It's always very pithy. And uh, what meant the world to me is that's what he said 50 years ago. He never said to me, go be a youth pastor, go be a marriage pastor, go be a, a director of a Bible college, go plant churches, go pastor this church, go pastor a big church. Go. He never said that to me. He only said, follow me, and I just did what was in front of me. And so I, it was like the radical Jesus calling me out of the boat. <laughs> Again, wow. And, and Jan and I get to lay down our nets and follow him. And what does this mean? And my eyes got wide open and uh, said, yes, let's go on this adventure. And that's what I want for you. No old fuddy-duddies. No, yeah, I already know that. I memorized the Bible eight years ago. Yeah, I already got that. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But just wide-eyed curiosity 
of what God has for you and me. Are you okay with that? So let me read to you again uh, what Joshua says in verse 14, chapter 24. Now fear the Lord. And by the way, everybody that argues about why does God use the word fear and everything else, if you just simply climb into Hebrew culture, it means believe. It means stop believing in other things, which is trust, other gods. Believe. It's a simple Old Testament word for believe. And so now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness and get rid of these other gods that you've been trusting and serve the Lord. And if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. But as for me and Jan, our household, we're going to serve the Lord. Then the people answered and said, far be it for us to forsake the Lord and serve other gods. We too will serve the Lord because he is our God. Now I want to give you just rapid fire. We'll just spend a few minutes on each point because uh, we would be here too long. And, and by the way, you should be of good courage because I think Ryan's sermons are shorter than mine. <laughs> so that's a good thing. Number one, worship as a lifestyle. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship, your true and proper worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. That's what I've been talking about. All these opinions out there and what you need to think and, and so forth. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. True worship is sacrificial. Let me say that again. True worship is sacrificial. We all love to sing. And, and very kind of Buzz to sing a couple of our old songs this morning. Um, but that's only one to 5% of worship, singing. Worship is a lifestyle. It's how we live. And it's a sacrificial lifestyle where we are on the altar for Jesus. Years ago when we were living in New England, I was pondering this and I took a hike up into the White Mountains of New Hampshire, or as they say, New Hampshire. And, um, and I found a boulder, just like you would see Abraham finding a boulder for Isaac for sacrifice. And I just climbed up on the boulder and laid on it <laughs> like I was the sacrifice. And I told God, this is what I want to be. And that's what it means to follow Jesus. It doesn't mean you always get your favorite color. It doesn't mean you always get your favorite dream, your favorite food. We don't get to bargain with God and say, okay, if I follow you, do I get this, 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 this? You know, it's not that way. He's the Lord. And we don't sacrifice to just sacrifice. We're not monastic or just saying, well, I'm just going to give everything up. For what? We sacrifice for each other in love. We follow the Lord 
and we become sacrificial. And so how we live is a sweet aroma unto God. It's a lifestyle. And that's what Paul is talking about here. I've noticed when I've watched people that are true worshipers, not just singers, and I love to sing, but true worshipers, there's fruit that begins to come out of our lives. They're humble because they've been around God. He, God, me not, you know what I'm saying? They're loving because God is love. But they're thirsty. They want more. They're not darn right. They're not know-it-alls. They're never, they're never like, yeah, I already read that. Yeah, I know that. They're thirsty. And they're surrendered, and they're full of wonder. Like, they're on their tippy toes. Like, what's next? What's next? So I invite you to become a worshiper in this next season, a radical Christian who is a worshiper in lifestyle. Jan and I were walking the beach uh, down in, we call it George's, it's between Chart House and Seaside Beach, and um, we heard these girls screaming. They're maybe 10 years old, look like sisters or twins, and they're jumping up and down like this, and they're pointing. And, and I looked to see what they're pointing, and they looked at me, and they said, we see dolphins. Dolphins! We see dolphins! <laughs> and, um, and there was a side of me, honestly, that said, oh, brother. <laughs> like, we see dolphins every day. They're out in the surf. Uh, you can see them from the beach. Like, are you kidding me? But then I thought, Mark, bad Christian. <laughs> Isn't that what you want in your own Christian life. We see Jesus. We're worshiping. We're serving him. It's, it's the Lord. Isn't that what you want? Don't lose the baby skin. Don't lose the wonder, the thirst. Secondly, pray with intimacy to change the world. Philippians 4, 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. So don't just think about God. Don't just learn about God. Talk to him. That's what we'll be doing forever. I mean, it's intimacy with God is the whole point of the salvation story. Right? Am I right or am I right? Mark, I think you're right on that one. Thank you. Intimacy with God. And, and, and I, I don't know about women, but men, we have a hard problem with intimacy. You know, we, we, we never had it modeled. I didn't from my dad. And perhaps you. And so, you know, even the way we talk. How you doing? Pretty good. How are you doing? Okay, cool. I mean, that's a great conversation. <laughs> that's intimacy. So we need a little help on this. And you may want to just set the timer for one to three minutes at first because you, you run out of words to talk to God. And for me, I need to talk out loud 
to make it intimate because, I mean, Lewis just thought thinking uh, in conversation was amazing. And uh, so I know some people can do that, but for me, my, I'll be, my mind will be in Tahiti like nobody's business. I just, shh, I daydream. And so I need to talk out loud. And I, I, I just use the Lord's Prayer. I mean, it's the Lord's Prayer. So, I mean, you've, you come up with your prayer, but I think, why not? And, and it's, it's a great outline. Lord, you're awesome. We need you to come with your will, provide, and forgive me, and protect. Amen. And with each point, you can fill in the blanks of what you need and what you want them to do for your family, for your country, and, and so forth. But the privilege of having intimacy with God and believing that it's the primary way we change the world. It exhibits trust in Jesus rather than trusting my own opinions or my own actions, trusting him. And it fills me with his spirit as I'm made intimate with him. And use the word occasionally. I know it's audacious, daddy. And if you're not comfortable with daddy, because I used to think lightning was going to strike me if I ever used the word daddy, rather than dear heavenly father, great one, eternal one, and, and all of that, to distance myself from him, uh, I noticed Jesus used the Aramaic word Abba, which translated means daddy. And he's given us the spirit of God, scripture says, that cries daddy. So if you can't use daddy, use Abba. It's a biblical word. And as you pray to change the world, pray for Ryan and pray for the staff. I have always asked our pastors to pray at least uh, an hour a day for you. And, uh, and so they're praying for you and to pray for them as we go into this next season Thirdly, use the compass. Folks, it is a jungle out there. It is a jungle, and we need the Bible to guide us, to, to not only study it, but actually obey it in life. Matthew 7, 24 says, you're still there, right? Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Janet, I love to walk the beach, and you know, from Lucadia all the way down to Solana Beach, you'll occasionally see a slide happening, and you see them madly trying to save a house uh, that, that could slide into the ocean. And, you know, they are built on sandstone. It's, it's a tough thing. So we don't want our lives, and I've seen so many Christians in my lifetime slide into the ocean. Their house wasn't built on the rock. And this word of God is the rock that we need to build our lives on. So study it, whether you're in church or on your own or in a group, and obey and expect to practice it 
in your life. And here's the rub, because I know you're all good students of the word. Don't cherry pick. What's cherry pick? Cherry pick in basketball is to just wait down court for someone to throw you the ball. Um, you got to get in and, and fight for the ball with all the rest of your, play, your playmates, your, your, your basketball mates, um, your teammates. So cherry picking in Christian language is just liking the scriptures you like. You know, oh, I love that one. Oh, oh yeah, I love that one. Well, let me try some that you may not love. Because <laughs> it also is scripture. And this, this is not extra credit, right? This is radical following of Jesus. Love your enemies. Now, I know as Christians, nobody has enemies. Just think of people that you dislike intensely. <laughs> Your call is to love them. Forgive. As I have forgiven you. Don't gossip or slander. Colossians 3. Well, I don't gossip. I just... When I have a thought, I need to talk to someone about it. And if it's a thought about a person, I just kind of end up, well, what did you think about that? Yeah, I thought Mark talked way too long. Uh, yeah, he kind of repeated himself. And, you know, he said that before. And yeah, yeah, I agree. See, we do that. Why do we do that? Well, that's not gossip. That's just, just talking. And then the next step Scripture over and over speaks about united, be united, don't divide, be united, don't divide. And I have never seen in my lifetime more division among Christians in the last two years, even though the Bible says don't do it. I know, but this is a real important issue that I need to be divided on, more important than the word of God. So we have this myth in our minds that the only way we can be with people is if they agree with us on everything. It's just what part of the planet do you live on? The hard part of life is being united with people that don't agree with me, that I learn to love. And it's amazing how three years from now, what is so critical right now is not as important three years from now. And the beauty, what the world is waiting for is to see the church united that Jesus prays for in John 17. How about this one? Obey your elders and leaders. Yeah, but I'm obeying them until they ask me to wear a mask and then I'm out the door, you know. Or I'm obeying them until they don't wear a mask and then I'm out the door because of... Um, or I'm obeying them until they tell me to stay married to my wife. Or I'm you, we have these thresholds where I'm obeying as long as I get my way on everything that I want. Yeah, but those are important issues. Isn't that the point? We don't... In another world... And oh, here's another one. This will really get to you. It gets to me. Obey your leaders in government. Ah! Oh, you're killing me. 
but I'm an American, but I'm Davy Crockett, and I'm Daniel Boone, all put together, and Clint Eastwood. <laughs> you see, we're really not Christians. We're really pretend Christians until there's something that Jesus asked me to be sacrificial about me for because there's a bigger game. Are you a Christian only for the short game or the long game? The early church were Christians for the long game, and their government was worse than ours. No. <laughs> Caesar Nero lighting Christians on fire like torches and riding around in his chariot around burning Christians like a madman. Whoa. And that's when Paul wrote the command about, because he's in it for the long game. We've got to pray that we can continue to get the gospel out. We've got to continue to differentiate between Jesus and the Oval Office. We've got to continue to give our submission not only to this wonderful country that we live in, but to a greater vision, Jesus Christ. And when we confuse the two and we merge the two and begin to feel like, well, I'm, then all we've done is wrap Jesus in an American flag and put Jesus in the Oval Office. And it's just, it's not what we signed up for. It's not radical. Now, I'm not parsing out for you today all the intricacies of how we merge our faith with government and everything else, but I'm just pointing out that there's certain scriptures we just gloss over. So, not doing it, not doing it, not doing it. I've sat with men and women saying, you're going to regret this. How can I bring the two of you back together again? How can I bring your family back together again? The word of God says, and the answer is, not going to do it. Not going to do it. And yeah, does God still love them? Yes. Does, will God still work with it? Yes, but we obey the word of God. It got real quiet, didn't it? Um, so we build our house on the rock. That's our compass. That's our guide. And I love, by the way, where Ryan is taking us. And Nick and Ryan have developed this incredible discipleship uh, curriculum where we as a church are tenaciously and uh, fastidiously going to go through the word of God. Next, belong and commit. Don't be an independent Christian. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25 not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day of Jesus approaching. So we need each other. That's the design of the church. There's no Hans Solo church. There's no Davy Crockett church. There's no Clint Eastwood church. It's, it's a we church. Alone, you are merely a water drop. Together, we are a river. And that's how Jesus imagines the church. So, be a participant. Jump in. The water's fine. 
Don't be a window shopping Christian. A window shopping Christian has uh, high expectations and low commitment. You all have window shopped. I remember the day when we actually, in shoot, a few shops actually still have this today where someone comes up to you and says, may I help you? But most of all, you're just kind of looking. You know, hey, I've got $80,000 worth of clothing here I want to buy, but I can't find anybody that's going to sell, ring it up, you know. But we've all been looky-loos where we, we just look through the window or we look at things and someone comes up to us and says, may I help you? And you say, and I learned this from my mother, uh, no thanks, I'm just looking. No thanks, I'm just looking. And that can't be us as Christians. No thanks, I'm just looking. Now, I understand if you've been wounded and hurt by the church or whatever happened, I understand you start out in the back row or maybe in the tent. Hey, tent people. <laughs> you know, because I want to get to my car quick if the pastor gets weird. <laughs> I understand that. And then we gradually, uh, and I'm looking at a friend that actually gradually started moving forward. And I, I noticed that. And he had been a youth pastor, and I went and recruited him. I said, I think you're getting healed up. Um, would you like to be on staff? So I understand all that. But eventually, we got to get in the, in the water and participate. I was in New England when a church split over their expectations of a pastor. And uh, this sem seminary professor stepped in to be a mediator. And I thought, what's he going to do? And it was a congregation about just the size of this middle section right here. And they all met that, that night, and some liked him and some disliked him. And so he got out a chalkboard, and he said, okay, let's just write down all the expectations that we have of the pastor. Prayer, all right? And he wrote down everything they shouted out. Study the Bible. Teach the Bible. Counsel. Um, lead the staff. Visit us in our homes. And just kept writing and writing and writing and writing. And he said, okay, let's go back and quantify this. How many hours should... And, and they call out the numbers. And then just did the math, drew the line, and said, okay, you have down here 85, 86 hours a week. Is that realistic? And they did just what you just did, laughed. And that brings the point that all of us have expectations even of Ryan. He better do this, he better not do this, better do this, better not do this. And, and our expectations are through the roof. Well, thankfully, he's a phenomenal guy. And he probably is going to meet most of your expectations. He's better at most things than I am. But it's not going to be exact. And we can't, at that moment, be, be a window shopping Christian, we have to say, you know what? This is a time for me to roll up my sleeves and be a part of the solution. Because this isn't just a rally or a concert. This is the body of Christ. So my understanding of, you're still there, right? I know this is, this is a fire hose. You know, this is my last chance to get to you. <laughs> 
So my understanding of the church is this is the celebration. We all get together, we worship, and we teach. But there isn't a lot of, hey, how you doing, and what's your name? Although Ryan does that more than I do. Turn to your neighbor and say something. Then there's what I would call congregations. And we have several congregations in this church. We have men's ministry, women's ministry, uh, couples ministry, children's ministry, youth ministry, Junior, all, and, and you get to know a lot of people in that. And then we have community groups. And some of the community groups are Bible studies, some are prayer groups, some are camping groups, some that just goes on and on and on. And, and these cells are where we actually end up meeting people. And I'm always, as a shepherd, trying to get people into the sheep pen. And the Clint Eastwoods are the hardest. They're like wild stallions, you know, that I got to get on my horse and go out and meet them on the hill. Uh, because, they're changing the world, but they don't start out saying, I hope I can find a group hug. Uh, it's just not in their wheelhouse. So, and I'm probably mostly that way as well. But I, I encourage everyone. Here's a song that's going through my mind, and I don't know if pastors are allowed to quote songs that come from a bar, uh, but it's a, it's a sitcom that many of us used to watch called Cheers. I'm sorry, I'm dating myself. You younger people won't even know what it is. But the line is, you want to be where everybody knows your name. And that's Church where we actually meet some people. Next, get your gift off the shelf and serve. The way we find out what our gift is is not by navel-gazing. And contrary to some of the humanistic tendencies of churches, and we do the same sometimes, what do you love to do? What's your favorite color? What gives you energy? What do you like to do? And all that kind of stuff. Um, that's not what Jesus has done for me. <laughs> He's asked me to do what's in front of me. Clean. Remember in the early days of Calvary up in Costa Mesa and Chuck Smith, uh, just show up. There's a men's prayer meeting and show up and clean the children's Sunday school rooms. Okay, get to serve. That's where we start. I think we find our gifts best by serving people. And so I didn't start out to be a pastor. I just started out with the idea that I could serve people. And, and so get your gift off the shelf and begin uh, serving people. I love this word I'm borrowing from Michael Behe, who is obviously a scientist and used it in a different biological sense, but irreducible complexity. That the church is very complex and there's a lot of different parts and a lot of different people and that's wonderful. We need to stop trying to make everybody alike. That we should be different and we come together as a great orchestra playing different, uh, different instruments, hopefully the same song. <laughs> Next... Two more. Take the field. Share Christ. Be missional. Matthew 5, 13. You are the salt of the earth. 
You are the light of the world. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and thus glorify your Father in heaven. Right now, we are the church gathered. In a few moments, we will be the church scattered. But we're always the church. And the purpose of the church, according to Jesus, is to be salt in the community and light in the community. So they hear our words, but they also see our lives, and they end up wanting to know Jesus, end up wanting to end up glorifying him. So we have to stay. We are. We have to remain a missional church where we build the church from the outside in, not from the inside out, because some churches never find the time to share Christ because they're so concerned with right doctrine and right worship and right communion and right offering and, and right committees. We never actually share Christ. We've built this church from the outside in and saying, no, our ultimate mission is to share Christ. And now how do we do this? So this is the locker room and that's the playing field out there. And as we share Christ, I'm going to meddle a little bit. We share Christ and love people who are different than us. During this last season, many churches have become birds of a feather flocked together where we only worship with people who think and act and believe exactly like we do. And, um, and we miss a whole segment of America by thinking that way. We have to think like Jesus. Some of my favorite verses are when the Pharisees get upset because Jesus is eating with sinners. Sinners. Oh my gosh. What would happen if sinners came in through the door? Well, I already came in. I'm here. And those people that are different than us, they need Jesus just as we need Jesus. I was in Egypt shortly after the Muslim Brotherhood had been elected into office. And sadly, our government was behind supporting the new regime of Muslim Brotherhood. Within weeks, 70 churches were burned by Muslims who now felt empowered because we got to get rid of these Christians. And I was invited to a prayer meeting that lasted a long, long time. And we, we came and we had to empty our SIM cards out of our phones and then be transported to a different spot because the government was watching wherever we went. And, and then we prayed. And this is what rocked my world. Christians who are admitting that the worldview of Islam was not the best worldview in the world. But here is the rub. But God, protect us from the temptation to despise and hate our neighbors. Because if we despise and hate our neighbors, the devil won. That's the meddling. If we despise and hate the people that think differently than us or have a different faith or a different worldview, or, the devil is one. These are the very people that Jesus wants to win to Christ. Could it be 
So I, I just encourage you, meet people, meet people, meet people. Uh, keep your, your fishing line in the water. Have 10 fishing lines in the water at once. Meet people, meet people, meet people. Then ask them again, how's that going? How are you? How, what's your dog's name? What's your wife's name? What, what, how is this going? Do you still love your swimming? Whatever you're doing. And then come back and say, what, the, 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 what, blah, blah, blah. And then eventually, what you're doing is allowing a relationship of trust to be built so that you can share Christ and they see your life. Finally, be gracious and generous. Scripture says, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap, for with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. We mustn't measure with Gollum's measure. Mine, my precious. That we learn to not have tight fingers that, that hold on to things so tight that the blood leaves our knuckles. But we, we're generous. And for some, the difficulty is our time. My time is, is so precious. For some of us, uh, the, 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 the precious thing is my energy. I've only got so much energy. And for some of us, it's our money. But if you follow Jesus radically, God will blow you away. I was fortunate enough in the early days to pick up the cow when it was just a calf. When an 18-year-old decides to tithe 10%, it's like, what do you got? And so for me, all I did was drive down to the church in my VW bus, drop off my Vox keyboard and my Fender uh, Super Reverb amplifier and say, here's my tithe and drive away. That was it. And so for some of us, it's like, what? 10%, what would that even look like? Some of you are far beyond 10%. You give way, way more. And some of us would say, ah, maybe I can start out with two or three. Start somewhere. But what you will see is God will not be a debtor to you. He will give back to you, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. So there I was a year later at a, at a Christian camp, and the people leading the worship, you've heard this story, said, uh, by the way, uh, we could really use a keyboard player if anybody's out there. Uh, and I, I went forward and I said, I, I'm a keyboard player, but I don't have a keyboard anymore. And they said, we got one back here. And they brought it out. It was my keyboard. <laughs> Pressed down, shaken together, and, and overflowing. You can't out give God. And we're generous and gracious to other people because how we do Jesus is as important as what we believe about Jesus. We do Jesus, Jesus style. So at the close, I want you, thank God, right? This, this message is closing. Um, I want you to th think about a moment earlier in Joshua's life where Joshua is now the new leader of Israel, like uh, Ryan will be, 
And by the way, I'll come back as grandpa here, and it's all going all gonna to be fine. But I, I won't have to pay the bills or change the diapers. And I'll just, I'll be Yoda uh, giving wisdom, and he can be the Jedi, right? So Joshua is the leader now, and he's sizing up this city of Jericho with huge walls, and he's thinking, oh, God, how are we going to do this, and what's the strategy? And as he's walking along, he sees a man there, and he didn't notice this man before, and I don't think he was a flaming angel. I think he looked like a man, but he was a man with a curved sword, a scimitar, out like he meant business, pointing at Joshua, and he was dressed in military garb. And, and Joshua had been in battle after battle. He was a, an elite military guy, and he, he just didn't back down. He walks up to this military guy with his sword, and he says, are you for us or against us? Buddy, you got a decision to make. And the man answered Joshua and said, neither. For as the commander of the Lord's army, I have now come. And Joshua did the right thing. He ate carpet. He hit the dirt and he said, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. And the commander began to give him a layout of how to attack Jericho, which he would never have thought of. Walk around it six times and yell. <laughs> and I'm sure he thought, right. But the point is, many of us have been asking God, are you, are you for me or against me? Are you with me or not? I'm taking a stand on this issue. Are you with me or not? Are you with me or not? And it's not that God wasn't with Israel, but that's the wrong question. It's not that God doesn't care about your issues, but it's the wrong question. Are you with God? That's the question. He is not there to carry your golf clubs. He's not your caddy. We are his caddy, and he is the Lord. So we're going to pray, and in a moment, I'm going to ask for those that want to, to stand, that you would say to your own soul, I'm signing up to be re-radicalized for Jesus for the next generation. I ain't done I'm more committed than ever, and let's do this thing. So let's pray, and then I'll give you a chance if you want to stand. Father, thank you for your faithfulness to us. Thank you for all you've done, not only in this church, but many other churches in North Coastal County. And we celebrate, God, the gospel going forth. But God, we, we feel like Esther's for such a time as this. This is the moment this is the time that we need your spirit to be poured out. This is the time that we need people, secular and Christian alike, to become hungry for you. This is a time that we need to pull out the compass once again and pray. This is a time that we need to be for each other, not against each other, and learn to be the body of Christ. This is a time 
where we want to get off the shelf and be used by you. And this is the time where we want to share your love with other people. So come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Lord, upon us now. And so in the quietness of this moment, this isn't for anybody else. This is just for your own soul. If this is a day that you're, you're hearing in your own heart, it's not a vow. It's, you're not vowing to, to do every one of these points uh, every single day and be perfect at it. This is just you saying to your heart, I am recommitting. This is my intent that I choose to follow Jesus and to be refired for this next season of life. If that's you, please stand. Next week, we're going to turn the page. And Ryan is going to be sitting here, and I'm going to be preaching at Ryan of what it means to serve you as, his, as your pastor. And, and so be praying for Ryan and Stacy. It's, it's, it's a huge moment, it, at least in the eyes of God. And as we turn this new page, it's a page full of expectancy. We don't give away all our great memories of what God has done. They're fabulous memories. They're, they're part of our story. But could it be the rest is yet to come. So I want you to stretch out your neck like a giraffe and try to peer around the corner to see what God might have for you and for me of what this means. And picture yourself as a, as a brand new disciple getting out of the boat, just saying, oh my gosh, what is this going to mean? Yes, Jesus, I'm in. So I pray that God's spirit would be upon us and upon you, not just this week, but for this whole new chapter that we're going into. And I pray that all that's in God's heart and mind, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on us, in us, as it is in heaven. I pray that you would become this radical Christian that's in it for Jesus learning and growing in all the things that we talked about and discovering the Savior who loves you and died on a cross for you. He's the prize, friends. He's the prize. And we get to do this together. Amen? Amen. God bless you guys. Let's go out singing. Amen.